The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all. But then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Okay, you guys, pinch yourself or pinch me or whatever that saying is, but I am so excited because Winnie Cooper is here. Danica McKellar, the amazing actress from The Wonder Years, mother, mathematician, and philanthropist, is my guest on today's episode of Looking Up. And I could not be more excited to share this conversation with you. She's intelligent, transparent, and lovely. Danica speaks with me about the unexpected and spot-on tie between resiliency and math how we can go about finding our purpose and the tools she uses every day to help fight overwhelm and anxiety. I was honored to be one of her first and only podcast appearances. And I know you're going to take as much away from this interview as I did. Danica tells us about the importance of continuing to try when we feel unsure or unable, how we pass on resilience to our kids through vulnerability, and her thoughts on how embracing our smarts and the problems we have to spend a little bit more time on as the key to a resilient life. Enjoy this episode of Looking Up. I'm like dying to talk to you. And so let's just start. (laughs) How we start looking up is with this little section that I like to call looking in. And it's just a very short series of rapid fire style questions um, just to get to know you a little more intimately. And for me, I'm not going to say I'm embarrassed because I have to just be real and authentic about this. But like, I'm so excited to talk to you for so many different reasons. But I, like so many other people, am a huge Wonder Years fan. Like, this is just too much for me almost. Like, I'm so excited. It was, I mean, the Wonder Years was like a, a really, really big part of my childhood. Like so many other people's. I mean, there was no show like it. Um, it was so groundbreaking and it touched on so much emotion and actually mental health and just like an experience of coming to age. And anyway, besides that, also uh, someone that pursued my PhD, like just, and someone that went to UCLA, like I just have been sort of following you along and just, you're such an inspiration for me. And for those of you that don't know, you're going to find out a lot about Danica past just Winnie Cooper. She's a mathematician too. We're going to talk about that. But let's just start with Danica, has there been a book that you have read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? And if so, please share with us the title and a little bit about why. Yes, there's a book called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And I found that book about 20 years ago, I would say. And what that book has done for me, it's hard to describe, really has helped me feel more autonomy in my own life. Uh, This idea that happiness 
is truly and really about your perspective. Mm-hmm. And it, you're not so dependent on outside circumstances. Not like you're always going to be happy because we have all sorts of emotions, but this, this idea that, that we really are more in control of, of our destiny than we, than it feels like sometimes. And that things that seem bad actually are serving us. And there are a ton mm-hmm. of books that deliver that type of message. This one, I, this was actually written, I think in 97. So it was a little earlier. And I found the book, I think it was in 2000, because I had gotten into um, just a fender bender and I had like, I couldn't move my neck <laughs> for a few weeks, really. And I was kind of bedridden. And so I started reading this book and I was like, oh my gosh. And it just resonated. And it made me feel less afraid of what life was going to be handing me. And mm. it just made me feel more settled. And and it recommends meditation, which I, I'm not as religious about as I'd like to be, but I it helps. It really does. It just made a big difference. I recommend it highly to anybody, especially if you're going through something that's kind of rocking your world in a scary way, mm. which I think we all have been recently. Yeah. Um, but but seven spiritual, it's called Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And I, it has made a huge difference. I, I keep a copy by my bed and I've probably read it a hundred times. That's amazing. And a really powerful tool um, and a resource that we actually all already possess, which is our perspective and something that I absolutely talk a lot about in the science world of optimism. It's It's a huge piece of increasing that. Okay, people think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. People, well, in my real, like personal life or just like people in general? Mm, however you want to answer it. Like people might- In yeah. my personal life, <laughs> people think I'm judging them, mm. but I'm really just, I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm just probably thinking about something else. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 so I've always led a really healthy life. Like I make really healthy food choices and it's kind of one of my superpowers that I have really good discipline. Um, I don't know why I do. I just, I'm able to say no. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, Hey, I just earned, um, more fitness just then. And that's kind of just how I think about it. Anyway, I've been like that my whole life. And, uh, I remember my sister in high school, she had this cupcake that she bought and she's like, why are you judging me for this? I'm like, I'm really not, <laughs> but I was probably looking at it and thinking about it and having some other thought about something else. And, um, also, people think that if I look off while we're talking, they think that I'm looking at something specific and they'll turn their head. And I'm like, like how come that doesn't happen to anybody else? When I'm having a conversation with someone and I look off and I'm thinking and I'm, you know how we do? We'll look at something else as we're thinking about something. People turn to look. <laughs> I don't understand. I And I've been, my whole life, this is the craziest, weirdest, most random thing that I'm telling you right now. I don't know <laughs> why, why it happened to me and why I've, it's literally never happened to me on the other side of things. Like I've never... <laughs> off and then looked, and they were just thinking. So clearly, when I'm thinking, I look more deliberate than I actually am. Mm. Whatever that means. That is interesting, and kind of interesting with backtracking with how you're like when I'm with someone like my son, I try to look at him in the eyes to let him know that I'm like really here. Yes, and I think that's actually like also an interesting point that you know, when someone makes certain choices or something, and I like that you call it your superpower to be really self-disciplined because I think that that's obviously easier for some of us than others. And there's other things that are harder for us. Of course. Like for, I feel like there's certain things that I'm super self-disciplined about and it's like a non, 
like a non-thing. It's like not even something I have to think about. And then there's other things where it's really tough for me and I just can't do. And I think that oftentimes like when you when you do have a skill at something or it's a type of lifestyle that you live that you've worked hard for, sometimes people feel judged around you just because they don't have the same. And it has nothing to do with you actually. It's right. just sort of like their own projection. So that's, that's interesting. Um, okay, three words to describe yourself as a teenager during your high school years. Hardworking, isolated, mm. insecure. I mean, I was, mm. I think all teenagers are insecure. I was so insecure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like that's sort of a prerequisite for being a teen. Yes. Yeah, teenage years are tough, man. And look at my son. Watch, I, gosh, I called him 10 tonight. He's, he just turned 11. Glad he didn't hear me say that. You just turned, he's like, <laughs> I'm 11, mom. Far, not that far from teenage years. And I'm just like, wow. Those are just tough years because you're, you're just trying to figure it out. Has he watched The Wonder Years? No, not yet. I actually, I showed him one episode not that long ago. He wasn't interested at all. And, you know, <laughs> he was, he's a little young for it. I mean, the thing yeah. is, I don't know, you know, he doesn't have quite the same experience. Like he doesn't have the normal experience because he's homeschooled. Um, mm-hmm. So there, that I was like, well, maybe that's part of it. I, I'm not sure. But regardless, he doesn't have to like the show. He also doesn't yeah. think I look the same at all. So like he didn't recognize me at first. It's so weird because I think you look exactly the same. Yeah. Everybody who watched the show as a kid <laughs> and has grown up somewhat. Yeah. I look the same. Yeah, you are totally Winnie Cooper yeah, my right now. Doesn't see it at all. Like, doesn't see it. Three things that have brought you joy today. So I'm doing these, teaching my son um, rate times time equals distance problems, word problems. And he he got this one, one of them has slightly different format and he got it. He understood how to set it up and I was really excited. That was, that was a surge of joy. <laughs> um, see, not that much has happened yet today. So that was one thing. Well, getting to talk to you, your your message is so positive, and I don't mean this in a weird way, but like I get asked to do podcasts all the time, and I usually don't like we've to talk about a very busy life. I was like, I want to do this one. I like her, ah, and I don't have I don't know so anybody happy. who knows you. Like, there's no. I just yeah. I was just like, this is the kind of thing that I want to put into the world, and so do you. So what, what's the third thing? See, I get very. I'm also very literal. I'm very mm. literal. And so I can't be like, well, that was two good ones. I'm sure that's <laughs> like, there were three. I need to come up with a third one. Just saying good morning to my husband. Yes, I like that. Okay, how do you define optimism? To me, optimism is kind of like, they say that love is a verb, not a noun. And I feel the same mm-hmm. way about optimism. It's something you need to work at. It's an active participation activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not like you just get to be optimistic and that's, oh, that's an optimistic person. That's a not optimistic person. And oh, it's how lucky is that optimistic person to be optimistic? No, 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 it's, it's something you need to work at because this world throws things at us constantly in order to throw us into fear because unfortunately that's how commerce works. The more afraid we are, the more we watch the news, the more needy, needful we think we are, the more products we buy. And so being optimistic and happy and fulfilled is something that doesn't serve capitalism. No system is perfect. And the downside of a world led by commerce is that you have to keep buying products in order for things, for the world to keep operating. And so how it makes people buy products? Them thinking that they're unfulfilled and, un- and unhappy and, the- and fearful of 
what life will be like if they don't do this or buy this or whatever it is. So we have to actively work at being optimistic and, and look for the things to be optimistic about. Look for those signs of hope. Look for the other helpers in times of crisis. We have mm-hmm. to actively look for these things and these other people in order for that to be our reality. Otherwise, it's so easy to slip into the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. I always say optimism is a muscle and it's something that we actually have to work out. And um, yeah. it's interesting. We talked about perspective already, but that's one of sort of the best exercises to work out your optimism muscle. Um, so there's so much, first of all, that you have done and are continuing to do, not just an amazing actress. And literally, I will keep saying this, but on like one of the best shows of all time, Wonder <laughs> Years. But also you have written a number of best-selling acclaimed books on math. You have a PhD in I, math. I don't have a PhD. That is a, oh. that's a, oh. um, it's a rumor, but I did, okay. I did help to prove a new math theorem. And that's what you usually do when you're getting a PhD. And so that's the confusion. But I, okay. I took graduate level courses at UCLA, but only as an undergraduate. And I missed acting too much. And so I also found math ultimately to be very isolating. So although I loved it and math did so much for me and my confidence, and I love helping other students to, to find that same confidence that comes from feeling smart. Again, build something you can build yourself, that fortitude, that confidence from sticking it out with a math problem when you think you can't do it and you keep working hard and you teach yourself that you're stronger and smarter than you thought. And that confidence, you can carry that with you to other parts of life as well. All that stuff, I found so many wonderful gifts within math and a purpose in life to communicate that to kids. And so that's why I have these math books and makekellermath.com. If you go, you can find math books for ages zero to 16. And, 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 and I, I, I love that part of my life, this mission that I have of helping kids to feel comfortable with math and smart and embrace their smarts, especially young women and girls, uh, but all kids. And, and I love that. But I found for myself that pursuing a PhD and doing professional mathematics and research mathematics, which I did over a summer and to help prove that theorem, I found it was so isolating because I couldn't share my thoughts and the things that were getting me excited with anybody other than the tiniest little circle of other mathematicians around me. And I know it sounds weird, but like I'd go to lunch with my mom and, <laughs> and I'd want to tell her about these cool things I was discovering. And I would have to... I, start to say a sentence, but I'd have to define five words in that sentence. And by the time I lunch was over <laughs> yeah, and just my friends and just other people in my life. And, and what I realized as much as I love math and science, I love being a math and science communicator. Mm. And that's, that's what I want to do for it. It's not so important to me to be on the forefront of research, discovering new things. That was fun, but it just wasn't how I wanted to be spending my time. And as we get older, as, as you know, you start realize you start sort of framing it that way. How do I want to be spending my time? What resonates the most with me? What feels like I'm living my purpose? Yeah. And especially after this year plus, I think so many of us are really honing in on that question. And I think like something that I just thought of that is interesting, and especially for women, but I think for, for most um, kids, I think math is like a very particular subject that has this like very emotional 
sort of attachment to it where like you either feel good at it or you don't. And then you start really making these like really big assumptions about yourself, like literally dependent on like if you're good or not at math. Like I just remember as a child, like people that struggled with math and it could just be because listen, like sometimes there's amazing math teachers or communicators. And honestly, sometimes there really aren't. Yeah. And a lot of times there aren't. And I think that it can be really an isolating subject that literally we are all, like we all have to do. There's a have-to part of it with all of our schooling system, or at least if you go to a traditional school or some type of I went to public school and there were certain math classes we had to take or had to pass to move on to the next grade level. And I think that I look back and I noticed that was a subject that really had a lot of like, just like self-esteem attached to it. And it's so interesting that you talk about that and that, you know, a lot of it might not even have to do with you and your capability and more so about how are you being taught it and how are how is math being talked about and and i think yeah. that is a much more potent and powerful sort of advocacy place to be in to kind of get the the conversation started about math yeah but you know it's more than that it's more than that it's more than just putting it on the teachers and how it's presented of course right. that is a big part of it but also part of it is how the kids have learned to think about themselves in terms of what do you do when you approach an obstacle mhm what is the next step? Is it, oh, well, okay, I don't know how to do that. And I wasn't taught and I don't know. Or is it, well, what if I stick this out? What if I seek more help? What, like, what, and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, parents, it's society, it's all sorts of things. But how do you, how do you deal with obstacles? How it's about resiliency. Yes, yes. Yes. And so much of what, this is so interesting, but yes, the intersection of math and resiliency um, is actually so cool and so important. And so much of the work I do is how to raise more resilient children. And sort of for me, most of optimism, the way I define it is really about resiliency. And actually math is such, I never really looked at it this way until this conversation, but it really is such a powerful lesson in resiliency. It's a perfect place to practice and get good at resilience and, and, and to know that, okay, well, I think I don't know how to do this. I'm just convinced of it. But what if, (laughs) what if somebody were to convince me that this was actually an opportunity? Oh, wait, right. It's an opportunity. Yes. Kids have to take math, like you said. So why not use that as an opportunity to practice the skill and to, to flex those muscles of sticking it out, trying harder, staying with it. And my God, those skills are the most valuable skills you could possibly get from any class in any subject. Yeah. That is what, that's what defines everything. I mean, there's so much going on these days and I don't pretend to know anything about mental health. I don't, I've never studied it, but I do know that a lot of this is this feeling of giving up when the world seems Mm -hmm. too much and, 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 and math can often seem, seem too much. It can also just present such a challenge to us that we're just like, whoa, I don't even, that is scary. It's different from what I thought. I'm afraid of this. I don't feel good about myself because I don't know how to do it. All those feelings, all those emotions, it's all there in math. And those things translate to life. The most important things in life. And, you know, there's no like one answer. Part of it is how do you present math? Part of it is how do you present what it means to struggle with something. And something that I talk about in the in my books 
um, like Math Doesn't Suck and Kiss My Math and the, like the middle school books, especially. But even in the younger ones, like The Times Machine and Don't Open This Math Book, even like elementary school level, I talk about this idea that that part of what's good about math is the struggle. If you, mm-hmm. It's like going to the gym for your brain. So if you went to the gym and you lifted super light weights every day, you wouldn't get anything out of it. But it's when you feel the struggle, that's when you know you're getting to the good stuff. That's when you know you're actually getting something out of this in a way that goes way beyond math. And if we could get teachers to communicate this idea, mm-hmm. get parents to communicate. Of course, parents can't just communicate this idea. They have to live this way. This right. Model it. Practice do. it. Exactly. Encourage it. Encourage it. And when you are going through a struggle, tell your kids, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I don't know how to handle this, but I'm going to keep trying. Like, I try mm-hmm. to just narrate my inner, my, my, my thought monologue to my son as much as I can, uh, especially when I'm trying to figure something out or work something out, because I want him to understand that not knowing is a big part of life. And not knowing, but continuing to try to work it out and figure it out is one of the keys to life. That's how you, that's how it's going to go. I think kids look at adults, whether it's parents or teachers, and they go, oh, well, they have it all figured out. And of course we don't, but we, we've come up with some things that work for us in some situations. And usually those are hard earned. <laughs> and, and, and we have a big choice these days. And kids have an, a particular struggle Yes, because of technology, because when any of us have struggle or something we don't know what to do about, there's this easy distraction of social media and thing on YouTube and the news or whatever it is. Like, well, let me see, let me, but let me get a bite-sized piece of satisfaction. Like, let me get like a little hit of whatever. It's like avoidance and validation, like all in one that you can sort of just like not look at a problem that you have. And it's very easy. You know, it used to be self-medication and and there is still that, but there were some things that sort of got in a kid's way to do these things. And right now, avoidance is so easy. It's literally at the palm of your hand. Yeah. And and yeah, and my son doesn't have a phone yet, but he's got a laptop where he does his schoolwork. And so that becomes also where he plays video games. And- you know, when I first got on the laptop, I was like, okay, this is just for schoolwork. It's not for video games. But how could it not be for video games? Because, well, I guess we get a separate device and then, and it just evolves and it's like, okay, but then maybe that, maybe that's good. Maybe that's good. And we say, okay, well, you have this tool, but guess what? Don't use it as a distraction because that's, you've got a choice. You can either use it as a distraction or you can, you know, have a plan. My plan is I'm going to do this work. My plan is at such and such time I get to play games or my plan and, and just start trying to train these kids to understand the sticking it out with challenges versus the allow yourself to slip into distraction and avoidance mode. Because that's mm-hmm. going to be, that to me as an adult, that's one of the most important problems and challenges that we have today. Yeah, no, right? all of that. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And so much of what you're saying really resonates. And one of my favorite things about doing Looking Up and this show is like sometimes you know, you can really be in the weeds with something or like super passionate about something, kind of what you're talking about. For me, it's like resiliency and optimism and the science behind it and real everyday tools that people can practice, that resources they already have. And then like you talk to someone like you who all of a sudden now makes me think something I never thought before and literally that intersection between math and resiliency. And it's just, it's like this (laughs) aha moment and it's so cool. 
And now my head is just like spinning with like, yes, math, what a great tool for resiliency building. Tell me a little bit about, uh, there's so much. I know you're on Dancing with the Stars, you're producing, you're, you're doing all these things. I'm obviously just super into the math piece right now, but tell me about the McKellar Monday motivation because I've caught a couple of them and I know it's something that you do and offer on your Instagram live and you sort of talk about really, really helpful tips and have honest discussions about changing perspective, feeling stuck, letting go of anger, and really other mental health practices. And where does, does your inspiration kind of just come from daily life and some of the stuff that you're being transparent that you are facing or struggling with? And also like, what's one of your favorite ones? And it's not every Monday. It's not every Monday. Um, I, I struggle with my schedule and if I plan too much, yeah. And I never know what time I'm going to do it either. And sometimes it's not Mondays. Sometimes it'll be some other day because I don't have the time in my schedule to actually have like a program, a live program that's, that's, that's consistent. But whenever I can, I, I love doing it and there'll be 20 minutes, 30 minutes long, whatever the, a lot of it is me wanting to share the things that really work for me, little tidbits, little easy, like bite-sized pieces of advice that have worked for me. And when I do these, they also help to remind me and reinforce to me about these little tools. Cause we all have a ton of tools at our disposal. We just don't remember we have them. Mm-hmm. So they're not there for us immediately when we need them. And then exactly. later on, I go, oh, no, you know what would have been helpful? If I just turned on some happy music at night, I could have, and I danced around my room a little. That would have made me feel so much better. But I didn't think of it. Because why? Because I was feeling really low. And, and right. I didn't think of it. Because, so like I've done, I've done um, uh, just little, one little tip that comes to mind is when things feel overwhelming, to pretend like you're on a roller coaster, say, wee. <laughs> Sounds silly. It's no, silly. I but like, even in your, you can just think it in your head if you want, but it makes a difference because what you're doing is you're not judging the overwhelming nature of it. You're saying, wow, this is pretty crazy. I guess I'm a roller coaster rider, right? And just by taking the judgment out of it, you regain so much and reclaim so much energy and wherewithal. Um, another one is when you're nervous about something, if you're nervous about a meeting or an audition or a job interview or a public speaking engagement or, or, or a difficult conversation, really like that, that sort of like just nauseous, nervous, pretend, this is a Dale Carnegie trick. You pretend that you're um, like a horse at the gates waiting to get out. You're like, let me at him, let me at him. And you just think to yourself those words, let me at him. Not let me at them, but let me at them. Like, oh, I just, I just let, let me, me at him. I use that all the time. I mean, several times a month, I would say something comes up where I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe not several times a month. Often enough, <laughs> there's a lifesaver, a big meeting, especially if you're stepping outside of your comfort zone, which you see all sorts of memes telling you that you got to step outside of your comfort zone to, to really have a life worth living, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, but that's scary. Otherwise, it wouldn't be outside your comfort zone. So let me at him. It's really useful. Something else along those same lines is when something seems challenging, maybe like a big project. So it's a long-term thing. So it's not like a let me at a moment. It's uh, something that's daunting, but it's a big longer term project or you're by yourself working on a math problem and you don't know how to do it. It's not let me at them. You're already there. <laughs> you're there mm-hmm. and you're trying it. It's wow. This seems like a really big challenge. It's a good thing. I have me on my side. Mm-hmm. 
it's going to have me on my side. And really keep saying that until you start believing it. Because, you know, people shortchange themselves. They don't realize how much experience they have. They don't realize how much they actually do know or are capable of finding out. Absolutely. And so much of this, again, is resiliency training. And this is, I love actually the we sort of thinking like (laughs) you're going on a roller coaster with something that seems like a struggle for you and just going we, because actually, yeah, you say it, it may sound silly. And the way you described it was so, so perfect, but also there's a lot of science behind that. So like, again, back to this idea that when I think of increasing optimism, the two things that really come to my mind actually are not positivity, but our resiliency and curiosity. And so when you look at something with struggle, even if you don't know how to solve it, but if you can look at it with just like, huh, this is so interesting. And I wonder how I'm going to grow from it. Uh, I might be scared. I might be angry. I might be upset. Like this roller coaster seems really scary. I think I'm going to be scared, but like, hey, let's go for the ride and let's be curious about it. And like, we, you know, like sort of jumping, jumping in to it, even if you don't know really how you're going to solve it or when, but kind of knowing that you will and you'll be okay. And yes. that sort of goes back to glad I have myself on my side because that's really bringing yourself back to, um, for me, I'm, you know, I, I have whatever I've gone through in the last 30 plus years, I've overcome. And so that's a really cool perspective to think about. Whatever my challenges have been personal to me, all of them up to this point, I'm here and I've overcome. And that's powerful. Yeah. And so I think reminding ourselves of that. And I love these tidbits and how like you, you know, make them in these like very in the moment sort of also like little exercises that would just make you smile, which is another tool, just smiling. Um, But like, how can you not smile or change your mood when you like literally say we out loud? Right, you know, (laughs) or like, let me at him, you know, how does that, that pumps you up. And so I think these are so important. And I love the way that you sort of like dilute a really big concept into like just something in the moment. And that's, I think what all of us could really use. And it really helps to dismantle something that seems really big and overwhelming. And I love how you look at math. I love the intersection between math and mental health and, and all the wonderful things that you're doing to advocate for children and for education. And, you know, as we wrap up here, I'd love to, you know, I know you talk a lot publicly about advocacy and our duty to really give back. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why that's so important to you and maybe what some of your favorite ways to give back are. Yeah, um, I think one of the most important things to realize about giving back is that it's not just this altruistic activity. It can help us to feel our purpose. My grandmother used to say, and she she lived to be 99. She was just a few weeks from turning 100, actually. She's been gone for 11 years now. She died right before my son was born. She, I, I still feel so close to her, and um, I think about her all the time, and she's just with me. And one of the things that she always said was, Danica, the key to being happy is to make others happy. Mm. Make other people happy. Just a little piece of universal wisdom. And it's about finding our purpose. Why are we here? Like what, what is, what is my purpose on this planet? And when we are living our purpose, we just feel good. We feel better. We feel more solid and secure and we don't feel the need for distractions. We feel good and solid inside and not like there's a, there's a hole we're trying to fill, which most of us are a lot of the time. And uh, so 
when you when you think, well, how can I give back? One of the and, and again, I want to tie this into purpose. And, and, and speaking of purpose, something I, I always tell my son, and I I encourage parents to tell to ask their kids these questions and say, look, you don't need to answer these questions right away. But ask yourself, what am I good at that I love doing that can help the world in some way? And just keep asking yourself these questions because when you find that thing or those things, that hopefully will become your career. Mm-hmm. You will feel good in your life if you make that your goal for your career and not how do I make the most money or what do I think is going to create me the most status because those things will actually fill you which is the only thing that us as human beings really need and we will keep looking for it even if it's on our phones because we're looking for a quick hit of a distraction and validation and all the rest of it because we're looking for that feeling of being fulfilled Mm -hmm. and the feeling of being fulfilled will happen for you if you seek out your purpose Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it's definitely, I have a few ways that for me, I've I found um, that getting back intersects with my purpose and certainly the math books, mm-hmm. you know, helping to encourage kids to, to not be afraid of math and to embrace it and to embrace their smarts. And I feel very fulfilled when I'm doing those activities regarding like writing new books or whatever. And when I get the emails back from kids, you know, thanking me and, 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 all of that is definitely tied into my purpose and, and feels really good. And I encourage people to look around, like you're exposed to things you're exposed to, whether it's the environment or if it's children's charities for me, um, helping foster kids. And I've been doing it for a long time through this one organization called my stuff bags, mm-hmm. where they give bags of stuff to kids who are recently put into the foster system. So they've been taken from abusive, dangerous homes and they have nothing of their own oftentimes. And so these bags have a blanket and a stuffed animal and uh, toiletries and age appropriate toys. And and so I will buy in bulk from my publisher, my own books (laughs) to donate. And I also just donate money. And I've gone there to do their stuff of bonds where we fill the bags for the kids. And that has always really resonated with me. There's another organization called America's Kids Belong, where they are helping foster kids who are eligible to be adopted, but who haven't been adopted, like no strings attached you don't have to worry about foster parents coming around. And oftentimes they're, they're older kids and, mm-hmm. and they're harder to place because people tend to mm-hmm. want to adopt little kids. But these beautiful, sweet, big-hearted children need a loving home. And to mm-hmm. me, when you help support an organization like that, you're not only helping human beings, these kids, but you're helping the future mm-hmm. of our society, of our country, of our world. Because when uh, uh, these children, if they age out of the foster system, they're more likely to end up in horrible situations, homelessness, trafficking, you know, crime because of not having a, a home base. Life is right. difficult enough when you have a home base. Imagine going into the world with no family, like right. nothing. And, and, and so anyway. Nowhere to feel safe. Nowhere to feel safe. So these are the things that, that, that sort of speak to me the most that, I, that I've always dedicated my time and energy to helping foster kids and just kids in general. I do cameos videos. So if you've got the money and you want a special gift and have Winnie Cooper or your favorite Hallmark <laughs> star, you know, uh, say happy birthday to someone or whatever, I'll do like these minute and a half videos and I donate all my proceeds. I have a special bank account that it all goes to and it's all children's charities. And so uh, that's, that's what speaks to me. Uh, the bigger point, though, for everyone listening is what speaks to you in terms of how you can give of yourself 
be careful. I will, I will say I, I, I definitely favor smaller charities mm-hmm. because just like every other kind of system on the planet that's run by human beings, oftentimes things lead to corruption and there are greedy people involved. If people are money, there are people who take your money. So just be careful. That's why the two organizations I mentioned, My Stuff Bags and America's Kids Belong, they're tiny. Like you can talk to the couple of people who run it mm-hmm. and they're doing amazing work and they, and they really care. So I, I, I encourage people to look for that and, and, and see what resonates the most. As I tell my son, what rings your truth bell? Like what resonates? What feels like, oh, that's, I identify with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and look for your purpose because it'll help you to feel more fulfilled. I love that. Okay, wrapping up, what is looking up for you? What are you excited about? It could be something more global or something really personal and specific. What's looking up for you? Uh, a lot of things, if I think of them in a certain way, and not a lot of things if I don't, but I will say just the first thing that pops into my head, besides, of course, my family, who I love mm-hmm. and, and I adore, but uh, I'm just right now working on the giving the final notes on a book that comes out next year called Double Puppy Trouble. And it's so fun and it's so positive and it's so adorable. It teaches the power of doubling. So it's a McKellar math book, which means that it's, and it's a picture book, which means it's a really fun story, but there's math hidden in it kind of. I love that. It's about this girl named Moxie and she wants more of everything. She's an overachiever. She wants it all. She wants the highest grades. She wants to climb the highest tree. She wants to have the most cookies when, you know, she, she just wants more. Uh, and she finds, she gets really frustrated if she gets a bad grade. And this one day she, she got a, a B, which to her is a bad grade. And she's really mad. She goes in the backyard and she sits down, she's pouting. And she sees this stick sticking up out of the ground. And she picks it up and it's got like this weird kind of shape of a two on it and these two little branches. And she's like, hmm, what does this do? And she pushes on a button and it's facing towards a little uh, toy garbage truck. She's got a little a younger brother too. And my son used to love garbage trucks. So that's a little homage to him. And it, it doubles. And she's like, oh, so she starts doubling things. And she's like, she's drunk with power. She's just like, <laughs> run. And, and by the way, it, the book rhymes. It's really super fun. And she's like, I know, I'll make a double of our puppy because then we don't have to share. And she, she hits the button, but it gets stuck. The button gets stuck. And so the puppies keep doubling and doubling and doubling <laughs> and doubling. And so it teaches the, the two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256. Like it goes fast, big, really, really fast. And uh, the mayhem, the puppy mayhem that ensues. And ultimately, it's a story about siblings coming together to solve a problem together. And uh, but along the way, it's such a fun, zany ride. So I'm excited. My son would love that. I can't wait for when it comes out. Yeah, it's really (laughs) super cute. Double puppy trouble. So that actually already has a presence on my McKellar Math um, site too. It is available for pre-order. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. The last thing that we do here in Looking Up, if we were together, I'd have you pick it. But um, I will randomly pick a card for you from my Things Are Looking Up Optimism deck of cards, which has 52 science-based uh, or holistic suggestions that actually increase optimism and resiliency. And oh, it's cool. like your homework for the day. Okay, this one's yours. Okay. Think of someone who makes you feel happy, who inspires you, who motivates you. Call them now. Doesn't it feel nice to share your thoughts of gratitude with someone else? So when we get off this call someone, give someone a call, shout out uh, that motivates you or brings you joy or inspires you. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much, Danica. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, We need more positive voices like you out there. And I really appreciate that you are 
spreading such wonderful, positive, empowering messages to people. Right back at you. And I can't wait to connect further down the road. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is Me and Sade by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.